When photographer Andrew Quilty landed in Kabul for the first time in 2013 to cover the Afghanistan cricket team as they prepared for the Cricket World Cup, he admits his motivation at first wasn't noble storytelling, but somehow more ego-driven, being able to say he'd worked in a conflict zone. His two-week stay finally ended nearly a decade later. His new book of photographs, This is Afghanistan, captures the country during the drawdown and withdrawal of Allied troops and the return of the Taliban. Andrew, welcome to you. Thank you for having me, Andy. I spoke to journalist Dan Box recently, who admitted similar motivations with a story he was working on. It only seems quite human and natural to me that you have that motivation until you form an emotional relationship with the story or subject. Do you remember realising when the switch flipped for you? Well, first of all, I don't think I realised at the time how um, ego-driven my my decision to travel to Afghanistan in the first place was, I think I probably told myself um, that I was going for noble reasons and, and um, you know, to, to be a voice for the voiceless and all these uh, cliches that we, um, we, we reel off. Um, it, it probably wasn't, perhaps even until after I'd left that I realised um, or, or really zeroed in on, um, trying to work out what my motivations were, first of all, for going in the first place and then for staying. But, um, yeah, I I think, um, yeah, it's definitely something that you only, I, I think you only really stop to consider it in retrospect. And at the time, while those motivations are sort of um, changing, just as the, um, just as the motivations for those who are involved in the conflict change, particularly over the course of, what was um, in the end a 20-year war, um, that, that's happening um, in real time and, and it's not really, you know, while you're responding to what's happening um, uh, in the environment at the time, um, motivation is, is something that's a bit harder to discern um, in the moment, I think. So it, it wasn't uh, perhaps a stereotypical cliche of, one frame of uh, one portrait you took whilst you were in that time uh, in Afghanistan where, you know, you became wedded to the story? Um, no, it was, it, was, it was more gradual than that. Um, but in the beginning, um, it was, I mean, it was a, I guess in the beginning it was like a, a bit of a um, summer romance, you know. I, I really fell head, over, fell head over heels for the country very quickly um and and then i think perhaps as far as the, the story of afghanistan goes or the, the story that i was trying to tell of afghanistan that really um uh, as much as it was focused at any one point um on a on a particular um topic or at a particular time that made me realize how invested i was in it that came in um, late 2015 after I'd been there for two years, um, and it's depicted in a in a photo in the book of a of a man who was killed while being operated on um, in a in hospital on a um, under general anaesthetic on a on an operating table when an American warplane uh, bombed the building, thinking it was a, a Taliban 
command centre, but which was in fact at the time a fully functioning hospital run by Doctors Without Borders, and that was um, that was certainly one of the most uh, impactful. Uh, not only photographs, I, I think I probably made while I was in Afghanistan, but one of the most impactful moments for me um, in my time there, and and a moment that um, made me really change my uh, yeah, change my focus to to focus primarily on um, civilians who were being impacted by the conflict rather than those who had um, chosen to pick up weapons. I'm curious to find out about how and where you lived in Kabul. I mean, you know, from a distance and never having been there, it's probably difficult to imagine it as anything but desert and destruction, what you see on television. I'm sure that's not always the case. No, absolutely not. And I think um, that was the the first thing that struck me, you know, when, when I, I think um, when I flew in there for the first time, I was half expecting to get blown out of the sky before you even reached the tarmac. And, and I quickly realized that, you know, Kabul is, is a, a huge um, metropolis of five to 6 million people with traffic jams and pollution and um, restaurants and, taxis just like any other big city in the world um that is um well well it's it's um i I guess it stands apart from a lot of other cities in the world um for a number of reasons one of which is or was at the time the you know regular but isolated uh incidents of of extreme violence um but as well as the other um some other factors which which you know, I, I, I guess I fell in love with, which were the, the, the towering, you know, five to six thousand metre mountains that, that hemmed the city in, and the, um, the beautiful light, which for me as a photographer was, um, something that was very intoxicating, and the, um, the wonderful hospitality of the people, the openness of Afghans, um, despite what foreigners had, um. You know, brought to the country um, over over the decades leading up to that point, um, which you know, as well as um, having brought a lot of um, uh, hope and opportunities, um, that you know, they I should say, you know, we were responsible for you know bringing a lot of um, death and destruction as well, and and um, uh, using Afghanistan as a chessboard for international. Geopolitical issues and, and um, military adventures. This book doesn't uh, claim to be a complete picture of Afghanistan, nor uh, at that time, nor writ large. And you acknowledge that there were two groups of people that you just simply couldn't get access to uh, to include in this collection. Who were they? Um, the two groups were women, one, and the Taliban. It changed for the for the latter group, um, obviously after the Taliban took control, because all of a sudden they they had um, come out of the shadows from where they'd been hiding for you know the better part of twenty years, and were all of a sudden out parading on the streets, and they had no no reason to hide. They were no longer insurgents. They were the government. One of the reasons it had been difficult to cover that side of the war was that. Me as a foreign journalist, um, 
from the Taliban's perspective, I was a, uh, you know, I was complicit in the invasion and um, of the occupation. So um, I was considered more or less a military target. The other group were, of course, women um, who, for primarily cultural reasons, it was very difficult for me to to photograph with any kind of intimacy. And so I, I didn't... Um, I didn't try to fight against that too much. I really, uh, I, I think I did in the beginning. I, I, um, I pushed it um, to the extent that I could and, and it just never ended with um, particularly um, favourable results either for me as a photographer or um, the women I was photographing as subjects um, who were, um, you know, I worked out pretty quickly um, not, um, generally not open to being photographed. And, and that wasn't always the case, but um, generally speaking, particularly in um, rural, more conser- conservative areas, that was the case. And, and so I really just decided um, not to push that too hard and to, to leave that to my uh, female f- photographer colleagues to, to cover, um, which, w- which they were able to do um, far more successfully than I was. The fall of Kabul in 2021, you know, there was so much warning and preamble, like a slow-moving car crash, but just like a car crash, just absolutely, uh, inexplicably uh, horror-filled when it happens. You were riding about about on the back of a motorbike documenting the transition. Talk to me about that, because as an Australian passport holder, I'm sure you felt like you had the ability to leave, but also, as you were mentioning, being sort of part of the occupying force, part of the problem that led to that moment. Talk to me about the fall. Yeah, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, it was very morally confusing because, as you put it, I felt somewhat complicit in, in what was happening at the time. And then on the other hand, I I felt a some sort of obligation to, to be there as a photographer and as a journalist. But even more than that, as a... Um, as a member of the community, I suppose, um, which, which I believed I had become after nearly 10 years living there, even if I was, you know, I, I was always going to be an outsider there. I was actually outside the country days before the Taliban returned and I I made a very last minute decision to fly back in um, because it looked like the Taliban were on the march um, far quicker than anyone had, than themselves included, had expected. And it looked as though the the airport would um, would be one of the first casualties, and that that would close and make it impossible to first of all enter. But then I I guess the other conundrum there was that if I did make it in and I wanted to leave with the airport closed, I wouldn't be able to. So it was a bit of a there are a lot of um, moral and logistical conundrums. It was you know by far the most. Uh, tumultuous, chaotic, horrible period that I had um, experienced in nearly 10 years there. I think it was even more horrible for me to watch than a lot of the horrific things that I had seen in my time there because it was happening to people from the community that I had, that I felt a part of. It was all of a sudden the the people who were being affected were not um, people that I didn't know who were living in far-flung districts and um, whom I could interview and photograph and then return to Kabul that night or, or the next day, return to my, you know, my safe little world in in, in Kabul, all of a sudden it, the, the people who were being directly affected were 
my friends and my colleagues and, you know, the person who sold me milk up the road and the, the guy who drove drove me around in a taxi and who fixed my motorbike and things. And and my, I guess even myself to an extent because it was, you know, this was my, my hometown and um, where I paid paid rent for a house and where I had a dog and and all of that was sort of thrown up thrown into disarray and um so it was yeah I, I guess it gave me a a level of understanding for the plight of people in such circumstances that I hadn't really experienced until I felt a part of it myself if you've just joined me, photographer Andrew Quilty's here on RN Drive. We're talking about his time in Afghanistan, uh, which is uh, the photographs of which make up his book, This is Afghanistan, 2014 to 2021. You know, I interviewed Steve McCurry a little while ago. He's the famous American photojournalist who took the 1984 uh, portrait of the Afghan refugee girl uh, in Pakistan during the uh, Soviet-Afghan war. You know, that really striking photograph with her green, fear-filled eyes looking straight down the barrel. He Mm -hmm. was interesting in the sense that he talked about what makes a good photo in very, very, very practical terms. Just the practical nuts and bolts of reassuring someone and getting their trust. Mm-hmm. What is the method, in your view, of making a good photo? Yeah, look, I, I, I looked up to um, Steve McCurry for a long time. I was actually a bit um, disappointed to find out a few years ago when it became apparent that a lot of his photographs had been set up um, in a way that is completely frowned upon in the um, the world of photojournalism. Um, really? How so? What using fixes yeah, and lights um, and things? Not not so much lights, but composing images, in, instructing people in the images to stand where he wanted them to. There was a, quite a famous photo of a, a a man carrying suitcases on his head on a in a railway platform, uh, India, um, and it turned out that this man was, um, you know, worked at the hotel he was staying at or something like that. And the, the suitcases were actually empty and he had instructed Isn't him to right? do that. Okay. Yeah, so that was actually pretty, I found that pretty disappointing. And because I, I've always adhered to a very strict interpretation of um, of, of photojournalistic uh, ethical standards where you, you know, you try as best you can to have as little impact on any scene that you're photographing. Um, and so it turns out that the photographs that I had always aspired to of, of McCurry's or his credibility was thrown into serious question from my point of view, because some of those photos were, were in fact too, too perfect. I think that's mm. now sort of more understood surely, but I do, I yeah. do want to come back to the central, yeah. central question, which is really what, what is the key to a good photo? Oh, look, it's, it's so difficult to answer that, but I, I think, um, you know, the, the easy answer is to evoke an emotive response in, in a viewer. I think um, what's been interesting actually for me, having um, spent, the better part of six months putting this book together and then watching it um, come out is that in that six months I've been I've become you know completely desensitized to the to the pictures and a lot of them have kind of almost lost their meaning to me you know they're just like colors and shapes on a page to me now but when I see see someone looking at that book for the first time and looking at those pictures for the first time it, it brings them back to life for me to an extent I mean I think what people respond to is this sort of this kind of dichotomy of 
some kind of aesthetic beauty, visual beauty, while at the same time there's also this, um, you know, often horrific imagery or the inference of, of violence or hardship. So I think that's, um, that's something that I, you know, I, I don't think it's a conscious something that I do consciously while photographing but I think when I look at this book and and see them all laid out seems to play out it's like a a style or something I suppose something that is infused throughout the throughout the book so I think that's something that makes a compelling photograph where you've got this tension between visual beauty and uh, something that's slightly less tangible but like a violence but also compelling in the same way. Well, this work is absolutely stunning. Uh, photographer Andrew Quilty has been my guest. His new book of photographs, This Is Afghanistan, 2014 to 2021, is out now. Great to talk to you, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Andy. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.